Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to start. It's commonplace. We start talking about being neighbors. Uh, we go to Luke chapter 10. There's a really good reason for that. And even though the parable is familiar, and we kind of probably, even if this is your first time ever in a church, you probably know something about the parable. And if, you, if this is your 5,976th time in a church, you can recite the parable probably. And yet, you know, it just continues to challenge us. It's kind of like, uh, remember nearly 20 years ago, a friend saying, when are you going to stop preaching on X? It wasn't like one topic. It was just, I think it was repentance is what it was. And I, I told him with my characteristic smirk on my face, well, when you do it, I'll stop it. And so, but that's as true for me as it would be for the guy I was talking to. When I do it, I'll stop. And, and the problem is we keep recreating the need, don't we? to repent over and over again. We've been here and over and over again we've needed to be here, here being at the foot of the cross, seeking the mercy of God over and over again. Same thing with being good neighbors. Sometimes a new neighbor moves in and you have to learn how to be a good neighbor all over again. Have you ever noticed that? We uh, have a friend who right now lives in a house over in, uh, it's one of the suburbs of Houston, I can't remember which one, by Lakewood Church of Christ is where he preaches. He was talking the other day on Facebook about how he really thoroughly enjoys his neighbor's music, especially their taste in music and their, the thump of their very powerful subwoofer every night. And somebody else said, yeah, I know, I hate apartment life. You know, we, we, we have been looking for a new house and we've been in this apartment for 15 months and we've heard every song and every every word and everything that our neighbors have to share. And, and this friend of mine who's a preacher, he said, yeah, but I don't even live in an apartment. <laughs> you know, you know those kind of neighbors. We used to have, when we were in New York, we had neighbors to the, if you're looking at the house, it would be to the left of us. That house was a rent house, two-story rent house, usually with college students, which immediately you think, oh boy, what bass has he heard? These were really, okay, it, the university is RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. All I need to do to explain that to you is think Big Bang Theory, the TV show, okay? We live next door to Leonard and Sheldon and all those guys. So, no kidding, no kidding. And during the summer, when they first moved in at the end of the summer, you know, to get in a couple of weeks before, I was really concerned because they had their windows all up and these four college-age guys, you know, their first apartment off campus, all this stuff. And I just thought, ah, we already had other problems that I'll get to in a second. And I thought... This is not going to be cool. You know, this isn't going to be fun. Uh, you know, they really actually were never a problem, believe it or not, because they were Leonard and Sheldon and those guys. The loudest noise they ever heard, the, only, the closest thing to bass I ever heard was their instant messenger. That's all I heard. That's all day long. They were, they, were, they were very chatty, but only on the computer. You know, they, I never heard them talk. It was just that over and over again. One guy, a little lazy, left his, his Hyundai, uh, parked it in November, and then it snowed. And somewhere around May, he actually went back out and unparked it. it just that whole time, the snow built up over this Hyundai till it looked like they must have buried an Escalade. And, and the, the road kept getting narrower and narrower and narrower. Till, till my, I had a blazer, I think, at the time, an S10 blazer. I couldn't even hardly, you know, those aren't very wide. It's like this table down here. 
I could barely get around the thing to get to my driveway because he didn't shovel. But his lack of shoveling was at least quiet. Uh, and, and the great thing was he didn't actually pee in the snow next to his car. That was the neighbor to the right of my house who sometimes had, uh, I don't know why, I, I just heard the song, You Got a Thinking Problem. You know that one? Wow. I don't know where that one. Well, he did. <laughs> Didn't have too many cells left to do that with, according to his father. And so he would, he would pee, sometimes in our driveway, because he wasn't selfish. You know, he liked to spread the love. And, you know, you come home with your, with your toddler kids, and they're like, Daddy, what is that man doing? Look away! Look away! So, ah, there were more jokes there, but I will leave them alone. And... Just all kinds of fun. We actually had, you know, there was one time where the FBI was parked in my driveway while they raided the neighbor across the street. That was another neighbor. They were a lot of fun, too. And then uh, there were times where someone who was illegally parking in my driveway was, was hit and run by someone else illegally parked in my driveway. And the police never could understand what I was telling them because they kept saying, your car? And I'm like, no. And that was just one afternoon. I don't know how many times I had to say, could you all get your car out? I actually might need to leave, you know. I'm not the guy who leaves this Sunday buried. But eventually, eventually, the worst of them, uh, well, he got arrested, and his parents moved in, and they were great, you know, great. In that process, though, I will be honest, while I was doing a whole lot of praying, the Lord teach them how to be a better neighbor, you know, you do also have to learn to be your own. You can, in that situation, get really, really bitter. You can get really, really angry. You can kind of cocoon up. You know, we couldn't let our kids just go out in the yard and play without supervision. And that's crazy. I mean, when I was a kid, go outside and play didn't mean yard. It meant San Angelo. You know, stay within the city limits, be home at nine. That's what that meant. Go have fun on your bike. And it was awesome. And I had no phone tether or anything like that. Because for one thing, a lot of the neighbors, I could knock on their door if I needed a phone. So there was that sort of a thing. It was a good time to grow up. If there's anything that I mourn that we've lost, it's that sort of sense of safety. You know, because even now in small towns, you can, you can kind of do some, but you can't, it's not the same. And people learn that all the time, that it's really not the same. And we can, we can get frustrated and blame and, and do everything else, and we can become enemies of the people around us who maybe don't know how to neighbor all that well. Or... We can kind of go the Jesus route. And the Jesus route is you change the world not by griping at the world for being the world. You change the world by showing it a better way, tying into what Steve said. And Jesus is that way. So let's look at what Jesus actually had to say here about being a neighbor. Verse 25 to 37 of chapter 10 of Luke. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do? to inherit eternal life. And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and live. Now here's what I'm thinking. If I'm there and I've asked Jesus a question, even if my motives, which his were not, even if my motives were not all on the up and up, I might actually want to stop right there. I've asked a question... Jesus said, why don't you answer it? Wow, I got the double jeopardy question right. You know what you do when you get the double jeopardy question right? You change over to Wheel of Fortune and you don't try another question. You are done. Leave on a high note. You know, there's one thing you learn from Seinfeld. That's it. You walk out, okay? 
We're done. Go get a cup of coffee. He doesn't do it. Never learned that lesson. He says, but he, verse 29, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus. Now, that's funny because he knew the answer. He got the answer right. He says the answer to Jesus. And his next thought is, uh-oh. <laughs> you ever had that where you, you sit there and you go, I wonder what the right thing is to do. And you're talking about it, maybe a Sunday school class, small group, something like that, conversation. And somebody says, well, I don't know. What do you think? And, and you, you give your best shot. And they go, you know what? I think you're absolutely right. And then you go, oh, no. They're going to expect me to do that. I don't want to do that. We've been there, right? Let me tell you, as a preacher, when you're counseling with, with people a lot of times, this is exactly what happens. Well, what do you think Jesus wants you to do? Wants me to go home and love my wife? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I had that in a coffee shop once. A guy said, so you're telling me that I, actually, I need to actually keep loving her? I said, well, I'm not telling you anything. What did Jesus say right there? He said, well... God gave one of those. Well, I was hoping he would say, but it looks like he's saying. I said, well, there you are. <laughs> and you just got, that's a Paul Shero, isn't it? Well, there you are. And you just leave that right there and let them learn from it. By the way, to his credit, he did. And he went home and he saved his marriage by following what Jesus wanted him to do. So God bless the man for that. But this man is still trying to say, yeah, maybe God meant something else. Anything else? Is there like a loophole, Jesus? Let's find an asterisk in this. So he, he thinks he's found one. He says, maybe if I can rule at least, at least the guy who pees in my driveway out. I don't have to love the guy who pees in my driveway. That, that guy we can rule out. Who's my neighbor? Jesus. And he tells this parable. This is the part that we know so well, right? So he says, a man was going down. This is verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came by, excuse me, when he came, came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to the place where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, we don't know, in verse 37, how long there was an awkward pause, do we? How quickly do you think he really wanted to jump on that answer? I don't know. Which one do you think? Verse 37, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus just says, so you go and do the same thing. Just like that. You know, I was thinking about this story this week, and one of the things that I realized in, in looking at it is how much we influence the text in our thinking, in our explanations, in our studies sometimes. One of the things that crossed my mind was, you know, Maybe you've done this if you've taught this in a class or Sunday school and maybe just at the kitchen table. You, you look at this and you kind of look at the priest and you look at the Levite. You say, well, you know, the priest had a lot of things that he had to get to. Maybe he was going to offer a sacrifice and he had this and he had that. And so he had to go on because he had to get to A, B, and C. Look back at the text. Where does it say he had anything on his schedule? Isn't that weird? 
In our heads, I'm probably not the only one, in our heads, we have already tried to justify the priest halfway. Well, you know, he had a lot to do. Might have been, might have been, it might have been Saturday. He may have had a, you know, a ceremony he needed to get to, a sacrifice to offer. He may have had to go you know, certify somebody's boil had actually been healed. Isn't that the priest? That's got to be the new priest, right? The first-year priest under the old law probably is the guy who had to inspect all the boils because I'm telling you, 30 years of boil inspection, you are finding a new job. That's all I'm saying. That's probably how you got to be high priest. Man, he put in 30 good years. Surely, Lord, you've got to give him a break. You know, and if you've had 30 years of boil inspection, you're probably thinking, if I do anything wrong in there and they had to pull me out by the rope, thank Jesus. You know, that's, you know, well, they probably wouldn't have thought, thanked him yet, but you get what I'm saying. We make excuses, even for this guy, and I think we make excuses for the priest and the Levite, kind of reading into the text, well, you know, they probably had blah, 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 blah. And we, we still say, but they didn't do the right thing. Who are we really trying to justify? Isn't that almost a, a who-is-our-neighbor sort of a exercise that we go through? It's not even in the text, but I bet a lot of us, whenever we think about the story without reading it, have all of that justification going through our heads. We know this guy had to do blah, blah, blah. And it's just kind of a funny observation that I made. So he asked the question, you know, who is, who is the neighbor? And this is what uh, Martin Luther King Jr. had to say about this, and I thought it was a good, a good quote. The first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question, if I don't stop and help this man, what will happen to him? And that's the question when we're dealing with neighbors, good or bad, is that we often have our minds on our stuff. One of the big breakdowns in our society, I am convinced, is... You know, and, and I'm not the only one. They, they talk about this in different studies that timeline it. And you can talk about all different kinds of social changes and everything else, but the bottom line is a whole lot of change came with air conditioning and television. And I would add a second car. Stay with me. Used to be people in warm weather sat where? Out on the porch. You got, if there's a breeze, you want it, right? So you're out on the porch. You're doing Andy Griffith, Aunt B, playing your guitar, maybe. At least half of you are just out there to spit, I'm pretty sure. But, you, you know, you're, you're out there on the porch, on the porch. D, was it you? She looked guilty. <laughs> D's spitting. So the, the, uh, the reason you're out there is because you wanted to cool off. But what happens after you're out on your front porch? Somebody walks by, what do you do? You talk to them. You know what you do now if you're sitting out on your front porch? You look embarrassed because why would somebody be sitting on the front porch? It's sad, isn't it? That one thing, moving indoors. The other thing is, once we moved indoors and we got that air conditioning, what did you start doing? You yelled at anybody who opened the door. And then you got your TV program going. And, you know, you're, you're sitting there watching your WWE. You got the thermostat cranked down to 72. And what do you hear? And what do you do? Well, it's what you came here to repent of this morning. You cussed. And so you got very upset at whoever would dare interrupt your wrestling, right? And you're upset about it. And so there you are. Why? Because we got this backwards. That's why. We've, we have started, and as Christians, we're as guilty as anybody. We have started seeing our homes as a shelter from the world, a cocoon from the world, an isolation from the world, rather than 
what we're actually called by Scripture itself and the Spirit Himself to use our homes as, a place of hospitality to welcome the world into a place where Jesus reigns. Because we've stopped thinking, what happens to them if I ignore them and let the world go by? Versus, what happens to me if somebody knocks on my door when I didn't want them knocking on the door? And let me say, guilty as anybody, Saturday morning, still in my fisherman pajamas, that's pajamas with fish on them if you're wondering what that is, I don't want you making things up. The, uh, I'm still in my pajamas, and what did I hear? Ding dong. What did I do? Who in the world is here on a Saturday morning? You know, so you know, I'm just guilty. I had a headache, but you know, they didn't know. They were nice. I was nice to them, but I've been the knocker on the door too. And I know some of you just hide and turn the TV off. Some of you forget, and you heard. You know that story about the guy who went. Do you know the story? You need the story. This is totally for free, not in the outline, okay? New preacher in town, wants to go meet people in his congregation, knocks on the front door. Nobody comes. He can tell there's somebody in there, but nobody comes. So then he decides to leave a note. Note says, Revelation 3, and I believe it's verse 17. Revelation 3:17 Leaves it on the door. Church comes on Sunday, and... One of the guys who's counting the, the collection brings him and says, Hey, there was a note left for you. And it says, Genesis 3.17. Well, Revelation 3.17 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Genesis 3.17 says, I heard you in the garden and I was naked and hid. So, you know, that was for free. You go ahead and feel free to steal that one. And I'm guessing that's probably a... True story. That's my guess. Anyway, we do, we do tend to treat our homes like that, but I will say, use discretion, okay? Answer the door at least in your fisherman pajamas. How do we fix this thing? How do we, how do we actually start to bridge some of the gaps that technology and changes in the way that we live, even just cars, you know, we drive down the streets, nobody walks down downtown anymore, and so you drive all the time, and so we're able to pass a thousand people a day and never even realize they were people. When we talk about it, we say, that car cut me off because we've, we've dehumanized the traffic around us, even though those are our neighbors, they're people Jesus was talking about. How do we do that? Three things. And these th- three things come from... Uh, his name is Groeschel. I can't remember if it's, if it's Greg Groeschel. Life Church. Anyway, these were his, his three things, his suggestions on how can, we, how can we start to break down these barriers. The first one is that we need to recognize any prejudices that we might have. And that's not just a race thing, but it is also a race thing. But we, we can, we're more creative than that. I told you before that when I was in Russia, they judge based on eyebrows. So, you know, we can find all kinds of things. It can be socioeconomical. It can be educational. It can be, you know, what zip code did you grow up in? And, you know, I'm convinced that one of the most accepted forms of bigotry is regional bigotry. You came from the wrong side of the Mason-Dixon line or the wrong side of the Texas-Oklahoma line or the wrong side of I-35, you know. That one I understand. No, I'm kidding. I've lived on both sides of the of I-35. There's good people on both sides. But the problem is we will find a way sometimes. And sometimes we do it in very soft ways. It's not that we set out to be biased against somebody, to discriminate against somebody. It's that we only show preference toward people who are just like us. And so that may mean that, you know, for me, I only may like you if you're not a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Any Steelers fans in here? No? Good. 
then I don't have to grow today. So <laughs> I'm still mad at them over there, went over the Cowboys in the 70s. Isn't that terrible? Well, that's true. But, you know, you, we all do have those prejudices. You know, there's some people in here that are uncomfortable being from Bangs this morning. But that, that's, well, that's your problem. But we will grow to love you. We promise. That's, that's what we have to recognize in ourselves. We didn't go to the game. Tanya couldn't spend more than five minutes in bangs in one day. And so she like, no, I can't do it. So we went and shot things, and that felt better. So that's what we did. But know who you are, because we do have these things. Your, your, your prejudice may not be uh, the, the differences we talked about already. You, you may really not like Baptists. That's a problem. You ought to repent of that. But recognize it in yourself. I don't, that's just a silly example, but I don't know. A couple of you look like you weren't supposed to notice that. I don't know. Curly's just Curly. He can't help he grew up Baptist, right? That's all right. It's okay. Know what it is. And prejudice is, is on all these lines, as simple as that. You probably already read that. It's just prejudging somebody. And it's a, the reason I have the, the definition up there is for this reason. An unfavorable opinion, a negative opinion, a feeling formed beforehand, but look at what without. You ever thought about prejudice this way? Sometimes we think of prejudice as only being where I, I'm pretty sure I have a good understanding of who you are and why I don't like you. But it's also when we actually, it comes out of ignorance. I believe most racism, for example, comes out of abject ignorance. I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, my grandmother, and I love deeply and a wonderful Christian woman, uh, my grandmother had to learn this lesson Kind of the hard way, but she did learn it. Now, to give you a little bit of background, she grew up in Mississippi. She was born in 1913. Have I already told you a lot about what she thought about certain issues? Mississippi, born in 1913, left uh, to go to college at ACU around 1928 or, let's see, 1913, I think it was around 29 that she went. That's pretty young, isn't it? No, no, no. That's actually right. 1911. 1913 is my grandfather's birthday. She was born in 1911 and went to ACU in 1929. She, uh, 1929 to go to ACU, you had to wear white gloves to here and a dress where those scandalous ankles couldn't be seen and a hat or you couldn't go to town to go to the drugstore for a limeade, period. Okay? Very different time from our own in a lot of ways. It's also different in other ways. My grandmother's, I believe it was her grandfather, it might have, might have been her father or grandfather, one of them was a grand dragon in the KKK. So you know what kind of talk she heard around the kitchen table a lot of times growing up. Talk that has to be repented of, which Christ will have no part of, and of which there is no excuse for. And she heard that stuff. And she tried to grow past it as times changed and her understanding changed and, and her view changed, but there were still some old residue. You know, we're all growing. This is what sanctification is about, and it's why it doesn't stop until we die. Because we all are continually having to work through some of these things. And she did. So when one of my parents' friends, a lady who was Italian, married a man who was African-American, my grandmother had a pretty big problem with it. She was very uncomfortable with the idea. My parents decided they wanted to help her see that this was okay. It was all right. This was not an ungodly thing. And it's not. For some of you, if that's, if that's news to you, well, good. Now you got it. It's not. So they invited him all over for dinner. And I remember that evening at supper time. And this guy was awesome. Let me give you a little bit more of the picture. 
Our family friend who was Italian had, before her husband dumped her and run off, adopted 15 children. 15 children. This is a woman with a heart the size of Kentucky. What kind of a man does it take that when he finds out the woman he wants to date has 15 adopted children, says, how about Friday at 7 o'clock? It's a good man. He loved her. He loved those kids. They married, yada, yada, yada. A good man. My grandmother wasn't quite convinced until she had him over for supper. Having someone at your table can rock your world sometimes. I think this is why we're commanded to show hospitality, not just to show Christ's love to the other person, but to open our eyes to other people. That's why Jesus said, and don't just show hospitality to people who you all, whom you already know. Go find a stranger. So my grandmother agreed to do that. She met this person. She saw them, and she was impressed. I never heard her say a negative thing that way again. She learned that lesson around 75, 76. Old dogs can learn new tricks when it's the Holy Spirit who teaches. Never underestimate the power of God to change you for the better. So recognize what it is that stands between you and some of your neighbors. For me, I have a prejudice against driveway peeing people. You know, if you told me that my best friend was marrying a driveway peeing person, we're going to have to have dinner because something's got to work out here, okay? Something's got to work out. Seek to understand where people are coming from. That's the other thing. We'll go through these quickly. Seek to understand the other person because you don't always know why they do what they do, why they think what they think, but you always think you know, don't you? Stephen Covey writes in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People that one of the best habits that you need to have is seek first, first, foremost, to understand the other person before you ever try to even get your point across. Listen before you speak. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that the book of James? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Listen to what it is that other people have been through and you might understand. And it may not justify what they do. You know, they still may be annoying. Maybe the guy has bladder control issues. That's as far as he could get. I don't know. Seems kind of young, but he's had a hard life. I don't know. At least give people a shot to find out. And you may actually walk away not only not angry, but full of compassion toward what they've been through and willing to help them to grow out of whatever this driveway peeing problem is. Seek to understand them. Ignorance helps you get rid of your preconceptions, but you've got to go a step further and say, okay, if I was wrong about what is, then what is? What's happening here? What's the why? This uh, last part here, uh, don't forget to ask the turtle. Gloria Steinem, who I do not quote often, but Gloria Steinem has this story about when she was a young uh, biology student. And they were out on a field trip doing a lab, and uh, they'd gone to this, I don't remember if it was a river lake, something like that. But this turtle, there was a large embankment, very steep embankment, and then a road. And this turtle had climbed all the way up this very, very steep embankment through kind of a ravine and, and hard spot and then over to a road. And it was about to cross the road. Well, she sees the turtle. Her first thought is, that, tur that turtle's going to get run over. I'm going to go save that turtle. So she climbs up that embankment herself. She grabs that turtle. She goes back down the embankment and puts it back down in the water by the bank. She goes back, she tells her professor, thinking, 
I saved the turtle. This has got to be good for my grade. Brownie points, all this stuff. And the professor said, so did you ask the turtle? I said, what? He said, did you ask the turtle? That turtle probably took two days to climb that steep embankment. And if you'd gone across the road, you would have known that that's where her nest is. And you set her back two, two and a half days. Did you ask the turtle? You've got to ask the turtle before you go moving them around. Find out why. Why is a person where they are? Why do they think the way they think? Because even if it's off, you better understand them. And you may even find out, oh man, they knew about more about this living thing than I do. So, seek to understand. And lastly, it's love. Jesus' instruction there was, love your neighbor. Even if you still don't understand them. Even if you're no longer prejudiced against them. You've got to take the proactive move of actively loving your neighbor as yourself. Keisha Thomas did that. There was a KKK rally in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And at this rally, you had people from both sides of, I would say from both sides of prejudice eventually, uh, because the, the response to the KKK rally was to start beating those men to a pulp. And I know a lot of us would feel like, well, they got what they asked for, and there's a lot of truth to that, but wrong doesn't make a wrong right. Keisha Thomas knew what it was like to be beaten. She knew what it was like to be abused. So she went, as the crowd was kicking and flailing around at this guy, down in the, a member of the KKK, she went and threw herself on him. What does it mean to love your neighbor? I think when that neighbor thinks you're less than human and don't deserve all the rights of any other American and you throw your life to save theirs, I would call that love as Jesus describes it and exemplified it. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Her, what she said in the interview here was, I knew what it was like to be hurt. And many times that that happened, I wish somebody would have stood up for me. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How much would our neighborhood, how much would your neighborhood, how much would our town, our county, our state, our country, the world change? Just those three things. If Bosnians and Serbians would stop and listen and love, what would happen in Eastern Europe? If Russians and Chechens, if white and black South Africans, if North and South Americans, as if Trumpers and Clintonistas said, you know what, are those words? I don't know. What if they looked at each other and said, you know what, I love Jesus and therefore I love you more than I care about what you do in a little booth with a curtain, more than I care about the color of your eyes or the color of your skin or the neighborhood where you grew up. What would that one thing change? Well, here's the deal. We get to see. It's not theory. It's not stained glass. This is now your week. This is your week and God's homework for all of us. This is what we get to go do. So, if you want to commit yourself to this and you want to, to put Christ on in baptism yourself because you've been kind of backed off because maybe you were even prejudiced against Christians. You're like, well, I don't know. I kind of like Jesus, but I'm not sure about these people. And you've been putting off maybe your baptism for that reason. Your step might actually be to join Jesus this morning. Your step might be to pray about attitudes you've held. It might be that you've actually worked on these things and you've been trying and you've been actually doing a good job. 
but they're not responding and you want to pray for them, you have an opportunity while we stand and sing this song together.